0: welcome everybody to Dead Talk live I'm your host Viz welcome from, to everyone from around the world Thank you for tuning in. If you're joining us for the first time and want more information about our show please visit our website at deadtalklive.com want to welcome and give a big thank you to all of our moderators. Our show simultaneously streams to YouTube Instagram Facebook twitch and Twitter Monday through Friday evening. So let me say hello to some of you guys. I see we have Zoe with us on Twitter. Tyler is with us. Of course, we have Cece Wheezy, Khaleesi, uh, Joseph is with us. Uh, Saz, our moderator, is of course joining us. On the Facebook side, we have Viviana, Le- Lisa, Philip. Welcome to all you guys. Silvio is joining us on Instagram, as is Julian28, Nerne. Like I said, I hope everyone is enjoying their day, whether it's evening or morning where you are, doesn't really matter. Uh, did you guys get to watch our interview yesterday with uh, writer-director Eric Bress? That was a fun interview. I got to tell you, that guy was a big ball of energy. Uh, it's really a treat when you get to talk to such a knowledgeable true horror fan and Eric is definitely a uh, knowledgeable horror fan. In the end we went over, the, we went past the one hour mark and as after the show as we were saying goodbye the conversation lasted like a good 15 minutes more we were just talking horror back and forth and it's a treat and we're going to have him back on one day uh, you know not so much as a guest interview but just to talk horror and go over you know the headlines together and share stories some of our favorites and you know horror past and present so very much looking forward to that that was a great interview uh tomorrow <clears throat> don't forget we have from friday the 13th part three uh the character of Shelley, who of course gave jason his iconic hockey mask uh, uh sorry, Larry Zerner is going to be joining us tomorrow, and then Friday we have the legendary Xander Berkeley, who played Gregory on The Walking Dead. He's been in a bunch of movies, uh, The Dark and the Wicked, Air Force One, Apollo 13. and the list just goes on and on and on. That's going to be Friday with Xander Berkeley joining us. So a lot of good stuff. Zoe on Twitter says, he was great. Loved the interview. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Philip also writes, good interview yesterday. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Rick Grimes on YouTube says, uh, just wanted to pop in and say hello. Got a final exam tomorrow. All right, Rick. Hope hope everything goes well. Good luck on your exam tomorrow. So let's get right to it. Uh, We've got some... uh, Announcements and news that have uh, come out. Oops, wrong button. My bad. Anyway, here we go. Let's bring up the news. And yes, we finally have a release date for Black Summer Season 2. It is going to be in less than a month, June 17th. We finally get to see Black Summer 2. Uh, As a lot of you know, we've had the two uh, main stars of the show on our show, uh, Jamie King, who plays Rose, and Justin Chu Carey, who plays Spears. They've both been our guests, and they've both uh, discussed the upcoming season two. The wait is almost over. It's dropping on Netflix on June 17th. So let's see what this article has to say. Black, uh, Black Summer is a Netflix original spinoff prequel to sci-fi Z Nation. That aspect of Black Summer, I disregard. Because I'm just not a big Z Nation fan. That's just my opinion. I just I tried it. I really did. I just never really stuck with me. Uh, and Black Summer, even though it's a prequel it has absolute no similarities to Z Nation whatsoever. Anyway, it goes on to say the series has not uh, had a new episode since 2019, and fans have been eagerly awaiting news of the release date. The wait is over. Black Summer Season 2 is coming in June 2021. Carl Schaefer and John Haymes Co created Black Summer. They also co executive produced and are both showrunners for the zombie thriller with a darker tone than the flagship series. Oh, yeah. Z Nation uses the term Black Summer in its dialogue, referring to the summer that things went to hell. The spin off is set during that time and begins about six weeks into the apocalypse. Black Summer 2 uh, sorry Black Summer Season 2 will be released on Netflix on June 17th, 2021 at 12:01 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3:01 for us here on the East Coast. Die-hard fans will make sure to set aside uh, time to binge watch the eight episode uh, season immediately. I know I'm going to binge-watch it, the pandemic cut into filming for the series, which made the release date much later than anticipated. Now, the cast, of course, Jamie King, will return as the lead character, Rose. Spears, played by Justin Chu Carey, Lance, Kelsey Flower, and Sun, played by Christine Lee, will also return. As with any series set in an apocalypse, The cast can often change due to zombie attacks, and this series is no different. But rest assured, there will be new cast members in this second season. Now, the synopsis for Black Summer Season 2, there isn't any. (laughs) There is no synopsis. Uh, We haven't seen the official trailer for Black Summer 2. A trailer will follow shortly, most likely closer to the release date. But for now, Netflix posted three short teaser clips for you to watch while you wait for the full trailer. I haven't watched these, so uh, let's check this out. No longer summer. Brand new set of people. zombies scare the shit out of me. The Walking Dead, slow snail-crawling zombies, you know, you know, they're scary in their own right, but these suckers, they, they'll they be up on you, like, in no time. So, really looking forward to that. Uh, Khaleesi writes, just love Jamie. Uh, Jamie King was awesome. Jamie King, our my interview with Jamie King... Has to be one of my most profound interviews that I've ever done. She had such amazing stories. And if you guys missed it and you want to watch it, just go to any one of our streaming services and uh, look it up and watch it. It's, it's an hour you won't regret watching. She shared so much information, not only about Black Summer, but her entire career being discovered at the age of 13 as a fashion model, moving into acting, doing a lot of horror and whatnot. Uh, Khaleesi also writes, she's a beautiful soul. Viviana writes, that's awesome. Uh, so, can't wait for that one. So, American Horror Stories, the spinoff to American Horror Story. American Horror Stories, where each episode is going to be its own uh, separate story, sort of what, like Tales of the Walking Dead is going to be, when that eventually comes out, um, as opposed to what American Horror Story, the mother show, is where the whole season is a separate story from the next season and the prior season. In this one, each episode is going to be, it's a story onto itself. And just knowing the history on how American Horror Story loves to do their stuff and how twisted it is and awesome it is. Uh, I could see the writers having a really good time with this show. Anyway, it is coming this summer with American Horror Story Season 10 arriving in time for Halloween. The American Horror Story universe is expanding not only with the 10th season of the main series... But also, brand new spin off American Horror Stories. The former airing on FX, and the latter an exclusive to the FX on Hulu portal. So, basically, what that means is you will not be able to watch American Horror Stories on FX if you have cable or satellite. You gotta have FX on Hulu. Which, that really sucks. Okay? So, not only do you have to have Hulu. I don't know if FX is an add-on subscription to Hulu. I want to say no. Which is okay. But you need a Hulu subscription to be able to watch the spin-off. I don't think you need to pay extra like with Amazon Prime. And they offer like uh, all these channels like, uh, you know, Hulu, I think, and so on. You can get it through Amazon Prime where you have all your apps consolidated in the Amazon Prime video. But don't hold me to that. I don't think FX is an add-on subscription to your Hulu subscription. If it is, that would really suck. Uh, This week, week, FX chairman John Landgraf teases when uh, we can expect the new season and the new series, both arriving later this year. American Horror Stories will come to FX on Hulu in July. So that's just two months away. Deadline reported this afternoon, while the 10th season of American Horror Story will premiere on FX proper this fall. The 10th uh, episode, uh, yeah, the 10th episode, 10 episode season will conclude on Halloween. So it's going to start 10 weeks before Halloween. Uh, the Ryan Murphy created spin-off series will feature one hour contained episodes, while the 10th season of the flagship series is titled American Horror Story Double Feature. Murphy explains the the spin-off. We are doing 16 one-hour standalone episodes delving into horror myths, legends, and lore. Many will feature AHS stars that we already know and love. Okay, that is definitely cool. The cast for Season 10 will include regulars Evan Peters, Kathy Bates, Billy Lord. Finn Wittrock, Lily Rabe, Leslie Grossman, Adina Porter, and Angelica Ross. Also in the mix this year, as previously announced, Macaulay Culkin is joining the AHF. Why am I having such a hard time saying those three letters? The American Horror Story Family in season 10, with actress model Kia Gerber also coming on board this year. And here's another poster for the upcoming uh, spin off show, Stories. So that's it. Okay. So if you guys want to watch American Horror Stories, you're going to have to have a Hulu subscription. Uh, for the Mother Show, which is premiering in the fall, it will be on its regularly scheduled channel, which has always been FX. So there you have it. Um,. Want to welcome Lindsay Sparks, who's joined us. Doris is also with us. Uh, that and Doris, you're absolutely right. This whole streaming uh, thing is getting crazy. That's what Doris said. It's getting crazy. It is getting crazy. Uh, I have I've said a lot about this issue, and I still have a lot more to say about this issue. Uh, this has been in the works and you could see it coming years ago uh what covid did it just really ramped up the timeline of when this is going to happen but there is an all-out streaming war going on with all these different platforms coming about uh and it's happening so quickly cbs all access is no longer cbs all access CBS All Access is now called Paramount Plus. Now, we've discussed this uh, a couple days ago. CBS is moving some of its most popular shows from the CBS channel over to Paramount Plus. Clarice is still ne- in negotiations. As to where they are going to end up. Uh, It's a hit show. They're averaging like around 6 million viewers. So they are in current negotiations. As to where season 2 of Clarice. Is actually ultimately going to end up. And I really think it's because. It all comes down to money. That's no question. Okay. Okay. When it comes to these, these big studios and distributors, it's all about money. Uh, what I think is going on is advertisers are really starting to pull their money from television commercials. They're not spending as much in television commercials and diverting their marketing money more into online platforms, the internet, uh, apps. And of course, uh, streaming services for the ones that are ad-supported, but that leaves the studios with having to come up with ways to keep generating their revenue. Uh, big studio uh, networks like CBS, Fox, ABC, and on—they, you know—they've been making millions of dollars every year, and the The main source of their revenue is commercials, advertising. And now that I believe that businesses are diverting their marketing money away from commercials and more into the online media, uh, these studios need to keep generating revenue, especially on their hit shows like Clarice. So what better way to build up your subscription base to Paramount Plus where you have a guaranteed source of revenue from everyone that signs up each and every month because they want to watch maybe one, two, or three shows that are on Paramount+, Plus, then to move some of your most popular shows, take them out of CBS and put them on exclusively on your streaming service. You know? So, it's going to it's get messy. It's gonna get messy and uh, it's already happening. They even have a term for it. They are calling it subscriber fatigue uh, because there's just so many damn streaming services right now. Everyone is not gonna fork out five dollars for this service, ten dollars for this. I know I'm paying like fifteen bucks a month for Netflix. Uh, eventually people are going to say enough is enough. You know, Uh, cable, what used to be my main source for watching television shows, now is not where I go to first. I go to my streaming services first because that's where all my favorite shows are. And if nothing is there at the whatever date I'm watching, then I'll switch over to cable and see what's on there. So it's going to get messy. I have no idea how it's going to end up, but uh, it could backfire on them. It really can backfire on them. Uh, I I think you're going to see a lot of mergers uh, in the months and years to come. You're going to see these big companies uh, combining with maybe smaller companies to become big companies, bigger companies. But... Uh, You're going to be seeing a lot of mergers, a lot of acquisitions, as uh, people are just going to say enough is enough, and in order to keep their subscribers, companies are going to be combining forces. That's a possibility, as one way this might turn out. Uh, Nobody honestly knows. We just have to wait and see. Uh, Lisa writes, it's hard to keep up with all the changes. I didn't know about that CBS All Access until recently. Uh, I found out that CBS All Access doesn't exist anymore. It's now called Paramount+. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, so, anyway, welcome to all of our new viewers who just joined us on Instagram. Let's continue on here. Fear Street apparently is a new movie Coming to Netflix trilogy uh, in July. Goosebumps author R.L. Stein's other famous 90s book series is coming to Netflix. It's a trilogy, film trilogy event, of course, called uh, Fear Street. Let's say part one takes place in 1994, part two takes place in 1978. Uh and part three takes place in the year sixteen sixty six. The Fear Street books from author R L Stein are making a comeback as a trilogy of movies hitting Netflix next month. The ninety series span more than fifty books with the source material slightly scarier than Stein's other popular book series called Goosebumps. Netflix dropped the Fear Street trailer on Wednesday, showing a series of murders taking place in the town of Shady Side over a period of 300 years. Before we continue, let's just go ahead and watch this trailer. We're all cursed. The witch is real. She put a curse on Shadyside. She's been possessing people, turning them into killers, to take revenge on the town. It happens to Shadyside over and over. Bad things happen here. You can't stop her. Your best chance is to run from this place. Okay, that looks pretty cool. Over 350 years worth of horror, all in this one town. Uh, Fear Street Part 1, 1994, will launch on July 2nd, followed by Part 2, 1978, and Part 3, uh, 1666, on July 16th. So they're all, it's a trilogy, and they're all being released in the same month. In 1994, a group of teenagers discover that the terrifying events that have haunted their town for generations may all be connected and that they may be the next targets. Netflix said in the teaser caption. Uh and That's all they have to say. So, how many of you guys are going to watch that? Uh, it's apparently about a witch. It's about a witch, uh, at least according to the trailer. And, uh don't you know, make sense. A witch that started out in the 1600s all the way into, you know, 1994. Uh, does it end in 1994 or does it continue? Uh, Doris writes, can't wait. Colette writes, sounds good. Lindsay also says, looks cool. Uh, Lindsay is also going to watch. Why not? I'm going to watch. Uh, guys... I got to say something. For everybody who's harassing Marie to get on the live, it's not going to happen. Okay? First of all, it's not physically possible, the way I do my live stream, to add anybody to the live. You guys are talking about, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm, I'm using a restreaming service. I'm not broadcasting this from my phone. It is physically impossible for me to add anybody to, from Instagram, onto the live stream. And even if I could, I wouldn't. So please, stop harassing Marie. Okay? She's great. I give her lots of props and credit for the patience that she shows. But I gotta step in. Okay? Uh, Everybody's on her to be let in on the live. It's not happening, so please stop asking, okay? All right, let's continue on with the show. Poor Marie, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta feel, you, I, there you go, Marie, I stood up for you, because I'm looking over, because uh, I want to keep an eye on what's going on in all the chats, and I'm looking over on Instagram, and it's everybody asking to come on the live stream. No! A, it's not possible the way I do it. And B, even if it was. No. (laughs) You know? No. Not gonna happen. Alright. Let's continue. So, fan theories that make these horror movies way scarier. And I love fan theories. I mean, that's a lot of what we do here on this show. Like any genre, horror is populated with a wide variety of films from creators with radically different visions and styles, with that comes a tapestry of stories that have left themselves open to interpretation beyond what the creators might have intended. Whether it be a a hidden easter egg, a vague piece of dialogue, or a deeper bit of lore that involves further investigation After the credits have rolled from uh, classics such as Halloween, the thing and Hellraiser to modern hits like the descent, hereditary and us. The genre is rife with films that leave themselves open to countless theories and rampant speculation. It's impressive when a film can inspire conversations that last longer than their advertised runtime. These are just few choices, uh, a few choice theories that serve to not only fuel hours of compelling discussion, but make the films themselves even more terrifying. Now, be forewarned, the following list contains spoilers for these movies and the frightening events within them. But if you don't feel like sleeping tonight, turn off the lights and dive into a horror theory rabbit hole. And first on the list is the Blair Witch Project, concerning three college filmmakers who end up lost in the woods while hunting for the titular Blair Witch. Ends with the two remaining filmmakers entering a house in the woods. They are then taken out by some unseen figure. There are several theories about the identity of the killer, with one candidate being cameraman Josh after succumbing to the witch's influence. Very plausible. Now, of course, this theory only explains what happened to the humans, not their remains, their equipment, or how they got there in the first place. What most people miss is the very likely theory that the trio had been transported back in time Upon entering the woods. I have never thought of it that way. The evidence for this is buried in the original website used to promote the film, where it is noted on October 16, 1995, students from the University of Maryland's Anthropology Department discover a duffel bag containing film cans. Uh, DAT tapes, video cassettes, a Hi8 video camera, Heather's journal, and a CP-16 film camera buried under the foundation of a 100-year-old cabin. When the evidence is examined, Burkittsville Sheriff Ronald Cravens announced that the 11 rolls of black and white film and the 10 Hi 8 videotapes are indeed the property of Heather Donahue and her crew. So I missed that part of it. I never read that before when the movie came out in the 90s. And for all you guys that were not around during this time, that's the length that these uh, uh, filmmakers went to to really fool a lot of people into believing that the blair witch project was actually a true story and i'm one of them you know i was a teenager uh, or in my early 20s when i watched this film and uh yeah i left that movie theater thinking that was a true story i really did they fooled me as well now how exactly did the footage end up under a house that old when in universe they had only been missing for roughly one year time travel is often a lazy explanation for certain wonky elements in films but here it is perfectly justifiable now moving on to event horizon great movie i've talked about it numerous times underrated film starring Sam Neill and Laurence Fishburne. So anyway, Event Horizon and Hellraiser take place in the same universe. That's definitely plausible. Hell is where the heart is, or rather, where the pain is, if these movies are to be believed. Hellraiser, the film adaptation of Clive Barker's twisted masochistic fairy tale, The Hellbound Heart, and Event Horizon, Paul W.S. Anderson's 1995 cult classic cosmic horror film seem to have a very little in common aside from the surface level comparisons of their torture themed hellish visuals. But dig a little deeper and there might be just a bit more here to discuss. First, both films share a common theme of pain meeting pleasure hence the masochistic this theme is cemented when the titular event horizon and cosmic portal to hell begins messing with their minds of the salvage crew uh, throughout event horizon we get to see the crew's worst nightmares amplified and thrown back into their faces for example doc- for example dr weir played by Sam Neill, is treated to a haunting hallucination of his dead wife uttering the words, I have such wonderful things to show you before retaking her own life. This is very similar to Pinhead's, played by the great Doug Bradley, famous line, we have such sights to show you. Also, after Weir is fully corrupted, by the power of the Event Horizon, corrupted, I would say more possessed is a better term, his body is now adorned with and sickening markings comparable to those of the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Based on the visual and textual similarities, some theories that perhaps the Lament configuration from Hellraiser and the titular Event Horizon are related in some capacity. I personally don't think they are related. I just think that the makers of Event Horizon just got a lot of inspiration from Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Hence the similarities that they just discussed. So want to welcome Carol Ass on Instagram. hey Carol, thank you so much. And I know I know there's an A there. But I, I'm going to screw it up when I actually try to pronounce it the way you actually have it spelled. Carol Ass. Carol Ass. Am I saying that right? You know, I love your Instagram name. I think it's badass. Uh, Doris writes, whoa. Colette Miller says I missed that one too in regards to the Blair Witch. Khaleesi also says fooled me. Lindsay writes, I found Event Horizon on Amazon in God, it's such a great movie. It really is. I saw Event Horizon in the movies as well. And I went with my best friend, again, back in the 90s. New horror movie. Of course, we're going to go check it out. We were just blown away on how scary, amazing this movie is. Normally, space horror movies, with a few exceptions, like Alien, don't really scare me. But damn. Event Horizon. It takes place in space, and it is uh, sp- it's like space meets uh, uh, something even more evil than what's in uh, uh, Paranormal Activity. That's how scary this thing is. Basically, this ship it's a it's a ship that was uh, testing out this technology to uh, basically bend space or so can travel long distances disappears. Disappears and just mysteriously shows up again. And what they find out, the salvage crew that they sent to check it out, is that this ship, when it disappeared, it actually went to hell. Literally, it went to hell. And hell sent it back with a care package on board. So, Lindsay Sparks also writes such a good cast, too. It was Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, a great cast. Uh, Zoe on Twitter writes, I've never seen it, but now I feel like I have to. Zoe, I highly recommend it. You're not going to be disappointed, and it will actually scare you. It is is a great story, great acting, and it's a scary story. So, let's see. Childs is the thing. Okay, now we have a uh, theory on uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. The Thing is another example of the genius of John Carpenter. It is a story of men stationed at a research facility in the Antarctic, forced to contend with death and paranoia at the hands of a shape-shifting alien entity. The film concludes with with the alleged death of the creature. The two remaining survivors, MacReady, played by Kurt Russell, of course, and Childs, sit at the now-burnt-out research facility. Despite their rampant distrust of each other, they pour out some scotch and wait for an uncertain rescue. It's a somber but mildly humorous ending that never quite dispels the paranoia. I must have missed the humor in that. It's an ending made creepier by a new theory. Childs could be the remaining imposter Created by the Entity. I'm sure that's crossed everybody's minds. Not just Child's. But also MacReady could be the thing as well. Or it could really be dead. They could have really killed it. Commonly circulated evidence behind this claim are Child's ever-changing clothes throughout the film. And the possibility that the drink MacReady, played again by Kurt Russell... Had provided him potentially gasoline instead of water. So what? McCready was getting ready to burn him alive uh, as well. Whether or not this is this question was uh, ever intended to be answered is unclear. But it's a testament of the film's lasting paranoia that fans have debated this for decades after its release. Danny, the next one, Danny was always chosen in Midsummer. I know a lot of you have not watched this movie yet. Uh, I absolutely believe that Danny was always chosen to be in the position that she's in at the end of the movie, which I'm not really going to spoil for you. To me, that's not even a theory. To me, i that's what I thought from the beginning. Dr. Samuel Lewis is in Psycho and Halloween. Okay. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho and John Carpenter's Halloween shared some DNA, both figurative and literally. For example, Jamie Lee Curtis, who portrays Laurie Strode in Halloween, is the real-life daughter of Janet Lee, who starred as Marion Crane in Psycho. Additionally, Dr. Samuel Loomis, played by the legendary Donald Pleasants in Halloween, shares the same name as John Gavin's character from Psycho. However, fans have speculated that this goes beyond just a fun nod from John Carpenter and could quite possibly serve as a piece of connective tissue between both movies there is a theory that Sam Lewis, inspired by his dealings with Norman Bates, took on psychiatry. This would eventually lead him to Smith's Grove Sanitarium, where he would become Michael Myers' doctor for the duration of his life. At least his life while he was in the sanitarium. This would also explain Loomis's almost encyclopedic understanding of evil and how unfazed he seems by most of Michael's actions. Now I got to dispute that last line, especially in the original Halloween. Uh, Loomis is absolutely terrified of Michael Myers. He's the only one that's still around that fully comprehends what Michael Myers is all about. And it's pure evil and I don't think Halloween would be nearly as good if Donald Pleasance was not playing Dr. Loomis now for example take uh, Rob Zombie's uh, Dr. Loomis Uh, you know uh, McDowell did a great job but they really Rob Zombie went a complete opposite direction when it came to Dr. Loomis. And I'm sure that's what Rob was trying to do. But Donald Pleasance as the original Dr. Loomis is a huge part as to what made that movie so damn good. So, anyway, believe it or not, there's a good amount of evidence that connects John Carpenter's Halloween to Jordan Pele's Us. There have been many explanations to justify Michael Myers and his almost shark-like killing efficiency, from the simple to the incredibly convoluted, but consider for a moment what we know about the tethered. They are mute, freakishly strong, and in some cases, extremely fast. Now, what do we know about Michael? He is mute, freakishly strong, and extremely fast. It's not that he's fast... It's like, it's just like he's the boogeyman. The dude can, he just walks. You could be running for your life. He is not going to break his stride. But he's always at least right there, right on your ass. Just his normal, casual pace. Doesn't matter who's running away from him. He is always right there. Considering the events that that set the movie Us in motion... How big of a stretch is it that young Michael Myers was replaced by his tethered counterpart? Much like what happened with uh, Adelaide and Red, and went on to murder his sister that faithful Halloween night. Now, that's uh, kind of a stretch right there. Khaleesi writes, I agree. Uh, Colette, great actor in Donald Pleasance. He was... Uh, Lisa also writes I love connecting dots between movies and TV shows it's fun it's absolutely fun so Carol explains it's Alas Carol Alas Carol Alas okay if I keep saying it over and over again I'll try to remember it Carol Alas okay I'm gonna try to not screw it up in future shows The Collector is a failed jigsaw protégé. Now, The Collector, I don't know how many of you guys have seen it. Again, another great flick. 2009, The Collector is a tightly directed and thoroughly suspenseful cat-and-mouse style film. It focuses on a jewel thief breaking into a house only to find out he wasn't the first one to break in that night. As such, he finds himself in the crosshairs of a sinister, black, masked figure subjecting a wealthy family to his painful tools of the trade. He was a sadist. The Collector himself is a fascinating character, as we're never told anything anything major about his backstory until the sequel film called The Collection. It's mentioned that his father was a licensed entomologist, which can explain his fixation with the collection of once-living organisms. Even so, there's still questions about his remarkable ability to create elaborate death traps. Wait, a shadow figure using dilapidated buildings as stages for elaborate games of death? This sounds familiar, almost like Jigsaw... From the Saw films, which is our topic for tonight, and I think after this bit, it'll be a good segue into our topic. It sounds like a stretch, but given how fast and loose the Saw films have played it with continuity as of late, it may not be impossible to think that Jigsaw could have had another failed assistant, much like Amanda and Hoffman. The film, when it was originally uh, titled The Midnight Man, was originally conceived as a Saw prequel film. So this uh, theory has some solid backing. Oh yeah, especially if The Collector was put together to be originally a prequel to Saw. So out of all the theories that we've just read, that one is actually has some evidence to back it up. I just see the, this next title. i got to read the next title off to you. The, ne- the Necronomicon, which is the book that is found in red that raises the demons and the evil dead. And Necronomicon is really just means the book of the dead. It's a Greek word. The Necronomicon is responsible for Friday the 13th and the Evil Dead. As interesting as that sounds, we... Well, you know, I'm just... I can't. I'm too curious to find out what they say. It's scary enough when a theory can affect your understanding of one horror series, let alone two at the same time. The Necronomicon is most synonymous with the Evil Dead series, in which the chainsaw and uh, boomstick-wielding Ash Williams contends with the evil flesh-bound tome and the dead uh, dead deadites, that's what they call them, deadites, it summons. However, it seems that the Book of Dead is a popular library rental. Not only is it responsible for the adventures of Bash, but might be partially responsible for the creation of Camp Crystal Lake's number one slasher, Jason Voorhees. I don't I don't get that. During a scene in Jason goes to hell the final Friday, there is a moment where the Necronomicon is visible in the Voorhees home. This has so many implications including a possible explanation on how the Jason keeps coming back from the dead. But it is interesting to see how both the Deadites and one of Cinema's favorite slashers quite possibly share the same origins. Backing up this theory more is Jason Goes to Hell, director Adam Curtis, who claimed to Horror Geek Life that he and the Evil Dead creator, Sam Raimi, came up with the idea of the Necronomicon reviving Jason. All right, the creator of the Evil Dead uh, was... Uh, talking to the director of Jason Goes to Hell, and they were just discussing the idea of the Necronomicon is what's responsible for reviving Jason. If it doesn't say, if it just went beyond just two filmmakers having some fun, that's what that sounds to me. Two uh, talented filmmakers, you know, sharing their movie stories and what they created. And having a little bit of fun with it. So, I don't know. Uh, Colette writes, Don't remember the book or Necromancer. Oh yeah, the the book of the dead, the Necronomicon uh, in Evil Dead is, you know, if they've never read that book, if they never started playing those tapes, you would assume those demons would not have been resurrected from the woods. Because when they started reading it and playing back those tapes is when everything started going to hell. Lisa writes, I worked psych when I first became a nurse, Colette, and it is so true that some of them have an unusual amount of strength. So, in the time that we have left, guys, let's talk about some of Jigsaw's most uh, elaborate slash favorite traps. First on the list is the raise, uh, Sorry, the Razor Maze. One of my personal favorites. A self-harming attention seeker has the tendencies tested when they must crawl through a maze of razor wire to prove that they want to live. Allegorical, it's one of the traps that best represents what Jigsaw is trying to do with his games. And that is basically to rehabilitate people in his own very sick and twisted way. We never get to see the path that leads to freedom, but considering Jigsaw's motive, it was likely a very simple path, and uh, Paul's fear of cutting himself on the razor caused him to hesitate or be careless in getting through that elaborate maze slash trap. It's never really stated that how Paul would die if he sat still, be it starvation, dehydration, or if there was an element of the suffocation with the locked door. But considering the whole Jigsaw left as a clue, it was likely Paul being locked away and dying of just starvation. Now, the reverse bear trap. Very popular and seen in multiple Saw movies. Uh, Saw, Saw 6, and Saw 7. It's Say it's one of... Just Jigsaw's favorite traps. Uh, the first two victims of the trap were uh, two of John's earliest disciples. One of the three times it's used, it is escaped from twice. Uh, unfortunately for Jill, she isn't so lucky. The next one on the list, the list is the Death Mask, Saw 2, a metallic Venus flytrap. And if you guys remember this one, this one's nasty. Uh, this trap resembles uh, an Iron Maiden. Allegorically, as its victims, is a criminal informant who relies on blending in and his image as a criminal. The trap, disfiguring him, rips away the mask he uses as an informant. Like many traps that requires. On the player acting sloppy and reacting irrationally, which often happens in a panic, this victim was quick to realize to pull the cord that kept the game from activating, but pulls the cord by mistake anyways. So this poor bastard realized it was a trap, but he pulled it by accident anyways. That, that's just a kick in the guts right there. The Needle Pit, Saw 2, still widely considered one of the most horrific traps in the entire Saw franchise. The trap was created by Javier, but was just another another example for Amanda due to her history as a drug addict. There were ways to easily navigate the trap. One of the others, or Javier, could have handed Amanda her clothing to help pad or rake through the various needles even though amanda finds the key with little time to go javier's clumsiness causes him to drop the key and robs him of the antidote uh I'm just checking on the time here it's fun going through this list of all the various traps that we have seen in all the different uh saw movies and as a reminder guys uh Spiral from The Book of Saw is out in movie theaters right now. I'm waiting for it to be released on video on demand till I watch it. Uh, the Knife Chair from The Saw Movie 4, Jigsaw's first sinister game, began continued the tradition of Jigsaw using facial disfigurement as a way to rehabilitate his victims by, by making them fight each other to survive. Cecil could have escaped without encountering the knife chair altogether if he had just leaned forward when he woke up. The release to his restraints was always present and just not revealed by John. Jigsaw. Cecil's attempted attack on John proves John's philosophy is flawed despite his strict devotion to the idea. The Glass Coffin The end of Saw 4, Saw 5, a bloodless test of face. It's one of the earlier built by John in the flashback during Saw 4. It's one of the few traps that if completed as intended isn't going to hurt that much. It just requires someone to lay in it while they would be laying on broken glass. They would have their clothes to help pad and make it more bearable. Is an example of being one of the simplest traps. Another example is the shotgun keys and jigsaw. All it takes is a leap of faith—faith faith, that jigsaw wants to save your life. Now, one of my favorite ones is also the the shotgun uh, shell uh, necklace. I guess is the best way to call it. I believe that was Saw 2 or Saw 3. They all blend together after a while. But it's basically the husband and the wife. You don't realize they're a husband and a wife because they're not together in the movie until pretty much the final scene. The way that woman died, that broke my heart. You know, She actually performed surgery on John, which is why she was kidnapped and brought there in the first place. And they put that trap around her neck. So just in case she doesn't kill him, because if John died, I believe that uh, wheel shotgun necklace was going to go off. But at the end of the movie, it doesn't matter. Her head is literally, when that trap goes off, it's obliterated. I mean, it's just like being decapitated, but worse. Uh, The head is just completely obliterated. It makes what happens to Glenn and Abraham, what Negan did to them on The Walking Dead, seem like a much nicer way to go, which I know it's not. They died a very slow, brutal death, being beaten over the head with a baseball bat. Even though that shotgun necklace was horrifying to watch, at least for the victim, it was quick and over with very, very quickly. So, we have a long list because there were so many traps that Jigsaw did use. But we are out of time for tonight. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Saw movies. I'm not saying they were all great. They weren't. The first one was great. The second one was great. The last one, uh, before this Spiral one, I have not seen that one yet. I would probably say that the last one uh, is my least favorite. And what is that? Saw 7, I believe. That's my least favorite. Uh, I'm hearing good stuff about this movie, Spiral. I can't wait to see it. So definitely looking forward to that. I think it's going to be coming out on video on demand very, very soon. Anyway, guys, uh, that's all for tonight. Please tune in tomorrow and Friday. For our two special guests, uh, Larry Zerner tomorrow, Xander Berkeley on Friday. Those are going to be two fascinating interviews. Uh, Definitely want to tune in for that. Go to our website, DebtTalkLive.com, to see all of our prior and upcoming guests. I'll be back with you guys with our guest, Larry Zerner, tomorrow. And until then, stay safe and always stay walking. Good night.